0: Welcome back, PYP friends. My name is Lou Gerlach with ThinkChat, and welcome to confession number 108, where we're going to look at local and global inquiry for specialists and supporting teachers. I apologize, friends, that it's been a minute since I've uh, been able to podcast, but I was able to enjoy being at my little niece's second birthday party. But she ended up giving us all a gift, which was a nasty cold. And so I was out of commission for quite a while, and now I'm back. So I'm glad you're here with me. Just a reminder that I was able to, in October, attend the Crafting Inquiry Conference where I was able to uh, meet so many edgy heroes. But one of my highlights was uh, palling around with a new friend. Um, Her name is Denise Craft, and she is a PYP coordinator in Middletown, Connecticut, which is about one and a half hours from New York City. Denise and I met each other when I led a virtual PYP exhibition workshop. Um, through Rice University and over the past couple months we've reconnected and she's become a real thought partner and while reflecting on day two of the conference we began chatting about my podcast of all things and she told me how much her teachers appreciated the ATL series being separated into early years primary and specialist and supporting teachers and just like most specialists and supporting teachers, they often appreciate um, seeing how everything is related to their role. Because, you know, I remember my own teachers feeling left out of the planning and development experience when looking at available resources. And to be honest, this kind of makes me sad and more committed to supporting y'all that are out there um, supporting in the role of specialists and supporting teachers. And so from now on, I'm committing that I might lay the foundation of learning through the homeroom teacher, but then I'm going to explore at least one episode, um, looking at it from the lens of your special role um, with uh, working as specialists and supporting teachers. I often get distracted. It's not that I've forgotten about you. Um, it's just we we meander, right? And so to make up for the shortfall, I'm going to have a podcast series just for specialists, and just for supporting teachers. So think about the topics that we've explored already or ones that you're interested in. Um, What do you need more of in regards to support your practice? Be sure to jot your ideas and questions down and then send them to me. Post on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, at thinkchat2020. Or if you're on LinkedIn, look for me, L-U-G-E-R-L-A-C-H. So for now, we're going to explore local and global inquiry from your roles and see how we can make deeper connections to what you do. Sounds like an awesome plan to me. So let's look at a lesson I learned from Trevor McKenzie. So I was very fortunate. On the second day of the conference, I spent most of the day with Trevor. And his unique focus was on inquiry and assessment. But I think it still applies to all of our roles, um, particularly looking at a question that Trevor asked. How do we assess with optimal in mind? And he provided some interesting things to consider when answering these questions. How do we nurture assessment capable learners? How do we value learning mode? So that's where learners are ownership of the process. How do we honor the mess of the process and take risks to test failure? How do we recognize performance mode which was basically assessing of learning, and explore a student-centered assessment practice. And these ideas really made me think about how we're exploring inquiry in specialists and supporting classes with fidelity and nurturing these ideas. So now what we're going to do is we're going to apply the ideas to your roles as specialists and supporting teachers. We're going to deconstruct Trevor's ideas, but we're going to switch the lens. We're going to Apply them to the lens of local and global inquiry in your context. So I'm going to rewrite them to make it more applicable to us. I think that sounds like a brilliant idea. And I know Trevor won't mind because he is one awesome dude. So here's now my wondering as I've deconstructed it, how do we use local and global inquiry with optimal in mind? Optimal, like we're, we're doing it at our optimum level. So I'm gonna look at his talking points and some of them are gonna be put together um, because it just naturally flows that way. Then I'm gonna provide you some possible things to consider and then see it in action. So let's go. So this is one suggestion from Trevor. He says, we nurture inquiry-capable learners and learning mode. So what does that look like? As teachers who support learners in short segments within a week and sometimes you might see them once a week over a two-week span how can we honor inquiry capable learners how do we honor that inquiry so there's many things you can do but i personally think these are short and sweet i'm always thinking about you pe teacher (laughs) a person who has you know very little equipment very little time and writing's not involved that right there or reading you know literacy is not involved how do we make this applicable to you my pe teachers so the first thing that i would suggest that you can instantly in, embed inquiry capable learners is what are the questions you're asking your learners are you asking a variety of open and closed questions so asking children things um like the question that comes to my mind is uh what is dodgeball or what is uh, you know what are relays versus more open question is how can we use team um sports or team um not necessarily sport, sports but team games to build relationships now the focus is on relationships building those relationships through team games and team sports that's a different thing than saying what are team sports right um and oftentimes we go very topical in in specialists and supporting classes because of time constraints so how can you switch that up allow for learner choice with the use of activities do you just say we're all doing this or do you say you can do this or you can do this where's the choice in that also you can encourage learners to manipulate materials to create something new something that I've seen my PE teacher do in the past is where um, they'll say hey here are some materials that we're utilizing how can you use them in a new way to create your own game right amazing so let's look at this um, in action in um, English as an additional language support possibly a pullout session Right. You ask your learners a variety of questions to so that they can bring their creative and critical thinking not only into their um, you know their additional language that they're learning, but in their primary language as well. There are two activities planned, and the learners are able to choose which one they want to explore. And I know that they're at language acquisition stage, but you can, but this is still doable. There's still flexibility and there's still um, plenty of materials to meet your target. And then possibly you as the teacher ask learners to create a new activity with the same materials, so they can transfer it to a new learning situation. Here comes where the local and global inquiry piece comes in. Whatever cards or whatever materials that you're utilizing, as you're building that language acquisition, are you utilizing visuals that build up towards the unit of inquiry? Or build up to something greater? So for instance, you show, uh, you show some cards that children have to put into sequence so they can tell you what is happening in the story. Way that you can apply that to locally is asking students after they've put those sequence cards in order, when is something like this happen to you where in your local community do you see this happening i wonder if this is how this is done all around the world i wonder how we can um how we can learn more that's how you naturally bring it about even in language acquisition time so now here comes the the next point by trevor we honor the mess of the process Due to the limited time period, we often want to create learning experiences that are short and contained within one session. Totally understandable. The problem with this mode is that learning is limited to short increments that don't often connect together. So this type of checklist teaching um, is difficult, especially for those that are acquiring additional language, children who have... um, possible learning disabilities, because they don't know how all those pieces come together. So instead of checklist teaching, we're focusing on making meaning and making connections of the learning that we're engaging in. So how can we possibly do this? Is that we break apart um, different elements across several lessons. That's a given. And we have learners, you know, with these different parts, we're going through the process of. Creating um, some parts, then we're asking them to compare and contrast after they have some materials. We're sequencing or we're doing some sort of cause and effect. And we don't have to limit this to language, right? Those are just natural processes that our brains go through to understand and create meaning. We think of also connections between parts and how they work together as a whole. This is a huge problem that most children do not understand when teachers don't take the time to let them get there and then making connections on how ideas are expressed not only in their local culture and the ways that as we said looks the same or different around the world so honoring this mess that it's not going to be this beautiful little pre-packaged um lesson that is okay we have a pretty picture that's going home after lesson one and then lesson two will be another great little craftivity instead we're utilizing the time that we have to create um and building up to something bigger almost like a mini portfolio so here's an example in action i'm naturally thinking of art class we have oftentimes children not going to an art room but Oftentimes, the art teachers coming into the classroom, so learners create pieces that indicate, for instance, maybe the art teachers focusing on tone, right, and using light and dark colors to um, indicate what kind of tone we're feeling in this piece. So they have learners over a few weeks creating um, different pieces that represent different tone. You know, like a lot warmer colors, talking about you know, fire or compassion or desire, like that fire within, whatever it might be. The cooler tones, obviously more aloof or disconnected, or um, just could be wintry scene, right? Being cold. And what is that, you know, light versus dark, all of that. And after creating several pieces, have learners examine through the lens of patterns and relationships. And maybe one grade level is doing tones that are more earth tones. Maybe others are doing more in regards to the yellows and the oranges. Others are doing reds um, versus purples. Who knows? You could be having this across the whole programming, but what would be magical is seeing all of these art pieces come together. And looking at as a whole and saying, what tone do we feel here and what emotions are evoked as you see these different colors being displayed. And then what, this is where we go into the local and global inquiry, as then we highlight various artists within our local community and also our global community who express themselves using certain colors, certain palettes, certain tones and why do they use those tones uh, repeatedly and what is it about that tone that creates a certain mood and maybe it's for a certain collection and something that pops into my mind for some reason is the whole migration series by Jacob Lawrence where he utilized a lot of primary colors um, to represent the great migration of uh, black Americans migrating to the Northern part of the United States, um, after slavery and thinking about all of that, right. Thinking about all of that and allowing learners to then express themselves through that same lens of tone. Um, that fascinates me. And that's how you contextualize it so that it means something to these learners and brings their own experience into play. So now let's look at another thing that Trevor, well actually it's our last one, where we're gonna merge two of Trevor's points of we take risks to test failure, right? We're learning from our mistakes and explore student-centered inquiry practice. And one of the most difficult things to do is allow our learners to make mistakes. We take risks to test failure so we can grow. It's through our mistakes that we learn the most. And here's a way that we can put it into practice no matter how we support learners. So here's example in action. We begin by co-designing a learning environment or a learning engagement, I should say, with your learners so there are They are clear of the expectations. They know what's the criteria, but they have a say in the process and the product. We allow our learners to choose their materials. For this to happen, materials need to be organized for optimal usage, labeled, and there's pictures on the bins, and it's designed for learner independence. We encourage the learners to test out their ideas without it being reflected in their grades. So they feel create like the uh, free to create without consequences. And we and and then we also showcase people who tested out their ideas expecting to fail, and how they turned their journey into a success. First highlight those local people, national individuals, and then go globally. Because we are still in art, many of you would think that this might be art, but this could be a science lab experiment, right? This could be um, working in the computer lab, right? It the process is the same, but we have almost told children that to fail, you know, like I see, like a child who's creating something, whether on paper or, or in, you know, like in code or um, whatever it might be a PowerPoint or whatever. And they go, ew, I don't like that. So they scrap the whole thing. Instead of trying to manipulate the part they don't like to becoming something better within the, you know, instead of starting all over. So that is what we're trying to get to is that, We recognize that we're all going to make mistakes because we're human. But how can we take that mistake and leverage it into something that's going to be a success? These all sound great and big and you're saying, Lou, how can I do this in a practical way? You're going to start small and then work yourself deeper. So here's some possible um, starters to think about. There's questions to answer to start the process, and then look at the ways that um, I've connected through Trevor's work. So any content you teach, anything that you support as a specialist and supporting teacher, there's always going to be an event that has occurred. And how do we utilize that event to humanize the content? So for instance, if I'm working with children um, with dyslexia, right humanizing that that context that these are brilliant people who had dyslexia as well but they were over able to overcome it and you shall too right and here are some steps in order to get there and we're going to take the first baby step here now that humanizes the experience so that they feel like okay if that person who was uber successful can do it, then so can I. So when I'm thinking also, besides humanizing that experience, I'm also not just thinking of like, let's say global people, but people within my local community who've overcome so that I can make those ideas relatable. And I'm thinking on campus, right? People that they know and interact with every day and families and that sort of thing. So how can I also go from a topic to something that my learners care about? This is huge. And oftentimes when we support and we're in specialist classes, we have a fixed curriculum that we have to deliver. So how are we going to hook our learners in to make it something that they have to care about versus something that they have to do? And how do we bridge that content to everyday life? That's the hardest. I think you can hook the kids and saying, Hey, this is why you should care. But then how do you bring it back to everyday life? So they see the relevance. It's going to look different for every person, but you need to figure out which ways are going to be right for you. I know you'll take these ideas and give them new life in your practice. Remember to please shout out on social media, um, any ideas, Um, that you've used, and also ideas that you want to explore. I hope you have a wonderful day. Keep rocking your roles because we need you. We need your support. We need all the um, ideas that you have to make education better. So have a wonderful day, my friends. Talk to you soon.